0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson, and I'm the senior pastor here at South Suburban Church. We want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. I want to thank all of you who came out yesterday for the Barefoot Mile. Uh, I was especially encouraged by uh, the number of board members and elders that were out uh, working and walking. Um, You know, when we think about spiritual leaders in the church, we always think about, you know, budgets and committee meetings But I'm grateful that spiritual leadership here at South Suburban Church includes the call to be right on the front lines with the whole church. And so I'm grateful for that, and I thank you for your participation in that. And look forward to our continued relationship with uh, Jeff Brodsky uh, and uh, the Joy International as they continue to battle uh, human trafficking, specifically child trafficking that's occurring right here in the United States. If you, uh, uh, I also want to thank Pastor Drew. I, I did it at the first service. I didn't do it at this service. He was in the pulpit last week. My wife and I and our family were at the General Assembly of the Christian Churches throughout all of North America in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, it was a, a nice drive. And, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, but we had a, a great time there, and, but it's good to be back here. And just to help with attendance next week, I want you all to know that Pastor Joe will be in the pulpit next week. And so I'm looking forward to Pastor Joe being here and and breaking the word of life uh, for us. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Genesis chapter 12? This is our last sermon in this series uh, through the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And uh, we're going to be concluding this morning... Uh, This series looking at the call of Abram uh, or Abraham and Grace. And so if you found it, Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, "'Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing.' I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Seventy-five. See, you guys got a bunch of life left in you. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, uh, to the oak of Morah, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. For there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. I pray that God's Spirit will open our hearts and our minds to that which the Lord wants us to receive this day. Amen. Um, so when we look at the Bible, we look at what's called the meta narrative. That's the real fancy term for it. It just means the big story of the Bible. What is the whole of the Bible trying to teach us? And this is a big, big uh, perspective of mine, wanting to look at the whole of the Scripture and how that fits into God's narrative for uh, not only uh, salvation, but for your life and for my life. And so when people sit down and they begin to sketch out uh, this narrative, this big story of the Bible, they begin in a couple different places. Some, some people begin at Genesis chapter 1 with creation. This is typically where I would begin from my perspective, that God created us uh, in his own image, that he created us perfect and beautiful, but we rebelled. And in our rebellion, we disobeyed God, and then the rest of the story of the Scriptures begins to lay down the foundation of God's plan of bringing humanity back into relationship with himself, which we ultimately receive through Jesus Christ. The second perspective that folks use when they look at the big story of the Bible is they begin with the story of the Exodus, uh, with Moses leading the Hebrew people out of the land of bondage in Egypt. And uh, folks who begin looking at the Bible from that perspective uh, use these themes of, of being led out of slavery, out of bondage, as the Holy Spirit leads you and leads me out of the bondage of brokenness and sin. And the third perspective begins with the story that was read today, with Abram, the call of Abram and how Abraham was called and chosen by God and what begins in the life of, of Abram and Abraham, his name's eventually changed to Abraham, uh, is the story of God's grace. Now, Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, said that it's important for us to look for Jesus in all of Scripture. And, and you probably know that the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament generally talk about God's interaction with humanity before the birth of Jesus, and then the New Testament. Uh, talks about God's interactions with humanity after Jesus. And, and, and although that, that's true, unfortunately a lot of people get this idea that the Old Testament uh, presents to us a God of majesty and a God of power and a God of might. And the New Testament presents to us a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of uh, unending patience. And, and I, I struggle with that perspective because... First of all, I, I just I don't see that. As a matter of fact, I think that you can see God's majesty, God's power, God, God's perfection in the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. And I also think you can see God's grace and God's mercy, specifically His grace in the story that was read today. Now, before we go on, let's remind ourselves of what those words mean. Grace is that we have received something that we do not deserve. And mercy is that we have not received something that we do deserve. So grace is, is that God has given us love and salvation when we didn't deserve it. God's mercy is that He has not punished us. He's not uh, poured His wrath out upon the world and humanity, uh, even though uh, the world deserves that. When we look at this story of Abram, uh, we begin to see the beginning of God's ultimate triumph over sin and brokenness and death. This story, I pray this morning, will begin to open your heart not only to your understanding of the profound grace that is God, God's love but also your place in that. The story of Abraham begins in Genesis 12, and it is here where we read that God chose Abraham. Now, we don't really know much about Abraham after that. I mean, last week, if you were here, you heard Pastor Drew preach on the Tower of Babel, and boom, next thing we know, we're meeting Abram. We know his name's Abram. We know that means exalted father. Uh, We know his name is changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations or father of the multitudes. We know that he was from the city of Ur, which was a city in the ancient Chaldean kingdom, a kingdom that was known for its advances in literature and philosophy and science of the ancient world. But it was also uh, one of the greatest examples of a truly polytheistic nation. That is, as a nation, a people, a kingdom that worshipped many gods. Now, one of their gods, according to scholars, was the god Yahweh, or Jehovah, uh, the god that you and I know to be the one true god. But, but this understanding of this god was wrapped around all of these other gods that controlled every aspect of the Chaldean people. We know also, uh, from looking at the text, that Abraham, this may astonish some of you, Uh, according to the Bible, was born before Shem had died. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember old Shem. He was a good fella. Well, here, let me set it in context for you. The Jewish tradition, the Jewish tradition, Abram was born before Noah, and Noah's son Shem had died. Now, if you sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil, and you spend this week, and you sketch out all of the generations in the book of Genesis you'll find that even though that's Jewish tradition, uh, that's not what the Bible says. But the Bible does say, if you sketch out all of those times, that Noah, the guy who built the ark, his son Shem was still alive when Abram was born. It's not been that long, according to the biblical narrative. And we are told in Jewish tradition uh, that Noah studied in the house of Shem, and that's where he learned about Yahweh, or Jehovah, or the one true God. Now, now, none of that's in the Bible, though. You need to know that. That just comes from Jewish tradition, uh, from, from the Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish teachings from rabbis that go back generations and generations. This is all we know about from the Bible, where we base our faith. We are introduced to Abram abruptly with this sentence. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. That's it. All we really know at this very beginning is that God chose Abraham. Now the Jews in their traditional teachings say that there was a reason that God chose Abraham, and so they, they make up a bunch of stuff about Uh, Abraham being a a righteous man and all the wonderful things that he did but none of that's in the Bible now in the Bible we do have from the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 where Noah is recorded as a righteous man blameless in his generation Noah walked with God Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 but we don't have any of that for Abram nothing As a matter of fact, if you read the rest of just chapter 12, the rest of the chapter that I read to you, that I read the first few verses to you this morning, you realize that as Abraham took his wife Sarai, they found themselves in the kingdom of Egypt. And apparently Sarah was a beautiful woman. And so Abram said to Sarai, whose name is changed to Sarah, so I might use those names interchangeably. He says, now when the king, when the Pharaoh sees you, he's going to think that you're stunningly beautiful. He's going to put me to death so that he can have you as his wife. So here, let's do this. You tell him that you're my sister. That way he won't kill me. And that's what happens. And so Pharaoh is just overwhelmed by Sarah's beauty. He takes Sarai. He says, who are you? Oh, I'm Abram's sister, which actually technically was kind of true, but that's another sermon. And... (laughs) And, and he goes, and, and Sarai finds herself in the house of Abraham doing what happens in houses. Y'all know? Now, let me ask you a question, wives. If your husband said to you, I might get killed if people know that I'm your husband, so how about we tell this fella that you're my sister so I won't get killed, would there be a family argument? I'm just curious. No, I think, a matter of fact, this morning I got a message from a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he said he was going to be speaking on this text, and he said, I don't really know what to do with Abram telling Pharaoh that his wife is really his sister so he doesn't get killed. And I said, because there's no way to explain that. Abram was a big jerk. That's about all you can say about that. He was a cowardly jerk. Now, later on in Genesis, I do need to be fair to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, we read that Abraham was righteous before the Lord. But Paul mentions this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. So if you're taking notes and you want to test whether or not what I'm telling you is biblical, write that down, Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, because Paul explains Abraham's righteousness not because of any deeds that Abraham did or bad things that Abraham didn't do, but Paul says that Abraham's righteousness was because he believed in God. That is, his righteousness wasn't in what he did or didn't do, but it was in the one whom he placed his trust. The same thing is said again in Hebrews, that it was Abraham's faith in God. That was credited to him as righteousness. And you know what? God has chosen you too, my friends. Like Abraham, our righteousness isn't because of something that we've done. It's not because we haven't done something that was bad. As a matter of fact, any merits that we have received are solely because of the obedience and perfection of Jesus Christ. It is His righteousness that is our own because we have placed our faith and trust in Him. Now, I'm not sure why you came here today. I'm not sure what bed you got out of this morning. I'm not sure what you're expecting or what you hope to happen while you're here but I do want you to know this before you leave this place, and I pray that you'll hear it from this pulpit every Sunday. God loves you just the way you are. And God loves you too much to leave you where you are. God loves you today not because we are particularly lovable, but because that's who God is. God is love. God loves you just the way you are, and God loves you too much to leave you where you are. Stop, please, brothers and sisters. Stop trying to earn something that God has already given you. Freely. God has given you his love. He's given you his promise. And you see, God chose Abraham. You want to know why God chose Abraham? Because God wanted to. By grace, the same reason, the same exact reason, God chose you. That's why you're here today. You see, God made a promise to Abraham. Now in those first few verses of chapter 12 that I read to you this morning, we read what are commonly known as the sevenfold blessing of Abraham. That's what the phrase is called. That's what this text is called. The sevenfold blessing of Abraham. Now, for this sermon, I, I, I've called them promises, and it's not because I have the authority to change how the Bible is talked about. But this morning, I wanted to bring a distinction between the promises that uh, God has given to us and the blessings that God has given to us. So just forgive me for today that I've changed it to the sevenfold promise so as to not confuse us when we come uh, to the blessings. But I want you to look at it. So if you have your Bibles, look back there, Genesis chapter 12, in those first couple of verses as we were reading, and God says, he gives him seven promises. We'll count them out together. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the sevenfold promises of God to Abraham. And Genesis, I'm sorry, in 2010, uh, a uh, researcher by the name of Dr. Harry Oster, he's a geneticist at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. This dude's a big deal. I mean, he's not a philosopher, he's not a theologian, he's not a Sunday school teacher. This dude is pure science. And he published a study in 2010 that he had been able to isolate a shared set of genes that were identical to a specific set of people called the Jews. Regardless of where or how long these groups of people had been away from the Middle East, he was able to conclude that there was indeed a sequence of genes that he called, quote, identical by descent, or what is often called the Abramic Genetic Signature. Now the reason I tell you that is because you're going to need something fascinating to say at the next dinner party you're at. So you've got it now. The Abramic Genetic Signature. We generally just call it the Abraham Gene. And as a matter of fact, he goes on to conclude in the study that he suggests that it was the persecution that the Jewish people have endured for over 3,000 years, maybe more, that has helped keep this sequence relatively intact. Now, I think that's interesting. Astonishing, actually. That God used persecution to preserve His people. Conservative estimates of humans living right now, today, on this Sunday morning, around the world, with that very small piece of Abraham's gene, number in the hundreds of millions... We Christians call Abraham our father by adoption. But the truth may be more amazing after all. Some of you actually may have a piece of Abraham's DNA in you. I guess when God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, he wasn't lying. the fact that three monotheistic faiths around the world claim Abraham as their father, and that these three faiths include about 60% of the world's population, and that Abraham is revered as a father in faith of over half the world's current population, when God says, I'm going to make your name great, he was not lying. God's promise in the New Testament are actually numerous as well. And I want, to reward, I want to remind you of these. That just as God made a promise to Abraham, God has made a promise to you and to me as well. Paul wrote, writes in Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39, if you want to write that down. Romans 8, 38 and 39. If you try to memorize scripture, you've got to memorize this one. For I am convinced... That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We worship a God who never leaves us. Did you hear that this morning as we sang? We worship a God who who desperately wants a relationship with you. Who wants a relationship with you, not only in the life to come, but right now, today. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ that we have been washed clean, and we have accepted our holy call to be God's people. This redemption plan was Christ's assignment, and it was all done in love. You know this text, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And brother, sister, the Holy Spirit is calling you today. The Holy Spirit is reminding you of all God has done for you and to let you know that He wants to be in your life. Look to Him. Hold His hand. Know the salvation He has given. That the God who crafted creation and its redemption plan through Jesus also crafted you. Have you thought about that? The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, For it was you who formed me, In my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know it might be hard for you to believe this, but God intentionally made you. And he made you for a reason. You are a part of God's masterpiece. And God has a special plan for you in your life. And that plan may even span the years of your days because Abraham never saw the fruition of God's plan. But God was faithful to his word. As a matter of fact, the psalmist continues, your eyes beheld my unformed substance and your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them has yet existed. This means, brothers and sisters, that your existence is not a mistake. Your being here today is not a mistake. You're sitting in the chair here at South Suburban Christian Church on this particular day, in this particular moment, is not a mistake. God does not make wrong moves. Isn't it amazing that the creator of the universe knows you, knows every hair on your head? And for some of us, that's not a lot of work. <laughs> he knows who you are. And he's made you for Him. He's made you to glorify himself. In you is his glory. And you see, that's the blessing. That God blessed Abraham. Not because he gave him his son Isaac, through which the blessing flowed, but because from that blessing of Isaac We are led ultimately to Jacob and then to a boy named Judah and then to Levi, down through the generations to a man from the tribe of Judah, that one tribe that remained loyal to the rightful king after David. After the death of Solomon, a guy named Rehoboam, Rehoboam was a big jerk too, but the tribe of Judah remained faithful to the descendant of the throne of David. And that ultimately led to a guy named Joseph who was a simple carpenter in Nazareth. The reason is is because that story also continued down through the generations, through the tribe of Levi, the tribe of priests, to a young woman named Mary who was visited by an angel named Gabriel who told her, you will bear a son. And the Bible calls that son the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Bible calls that son our great high priest. And you and I know that little boy by the name Jesus. What is the mark of a life well lived? Is it the great wealth that would be Abraham's at the time of his death? Would it be the military might of his descendant named David who united the kingdom of Israel? Would it be the wisdom of Solomon? Would it be the talent of a skilled carpenter? Would it be the humility of a teenage girl who was visited by an angel at night? No, the great blessing of Abraham was that he was the beginning of a plan to redeem the world. It's not a plan unlike the plan that God has for you, brothers and sisters. A plan to bless the world through the hands and the feet of his body we call the church of Jesus Christ. And just like Abraham and all of those who followed him, you and I are a part of a plan that God has for his church, for this congregation. God wanted this congregation and every other congregation along this road out here. To be in existence because it's a part of his plan. And every single one of you to preach, to teach, to heal for God's glory. You see, you are the greatest blessing God gives to this church. Which is the greatest blessing God gives to the world. You and I are part of that divine plan. Do you believe that? That you are a part of that divine plan. And some days that will require us to whisper. And other days it will call us to shout out. But you, where you are, from all the brokenness that you've come through, God has brought you through all of that for this moment, in this place, for right now. Because you and all of that mess and all of that joy was for a purpose to advance His plan of glory. Would you close your eyes? Bow your head and just listen, not to my voice, but to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says to you, I love you. I love you so much that I sent my only son, Jesus Christ, to bear the weight of your burdens and your brokenness on the cross. I love you so much that I conquered sin and death by the power of the resurrection. And I love you so much that I've raised up preachers and elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers and your grandmothers and your grandfathers and that next-door neighbor and that teacher who told you that you had a plan, a place in God's plan. And so now this is my voice, church, the voice of just one of a billion preachers that have existed. Can you say yes to this question? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, And I accept him as my Lord and my Savior. And I pray that if you've said that for the very first time today in your heart, that after our service today, you'll come and you'll speak to an elder, that together we can join with you as you grow in stature and strength for God's glory. Father, thank you for your word, which shows us your grace and your mercy. Thank you for leading us to this place, this day, in this moment, in this time that we might hear that you formed us and made us fearfully and wonderfully, that you have a plan for our life, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.